continuing in our series on the light values for our church. At Lighthouse, we have a series and a set of values that we hold very, very strongly to. And so we put them into the acronym LIGHT because it fits us as the term Lighthouse, obviously. And we've been walking through those values, and today we're going to do the last value. Uh, Last week, I actually kind of pulled it up there. The five values that we talk about are, first of all, loving. Second of all, inviting. We talked about that's a dual aspect, both being people who are inviting others and then being someone who others want to be invited to. So we're an inviting place as well as a people that are inviting others uh, towards God and towards this particular church body here. And then the G stands for grace. The T is for true. Now, so last week we talked about true grace. You notice I skipped there. I did that purposefully. And the reason I skipped is because today we're going to talk about holiness, and that's the H. So holiness is an interesting term that we rarely use, except in relationship to God himself. I think it's very hard to handle because we're so unsure of its meaning. It's similar to the word sin. We talk about sin. It's one of those words we go, what do you mean? How does that fit? It just sounds awkward. It's uncomfortable. So today we're going to talk about what the term holy means. And it actually comes out of the Greek for hagios, which means to set apart. So when you say something is holy, you're saying it's set apart for something. In this case, we think of set apart for God. So someone who is holy is someone who has been set apart for God. It's not discussing specifically the idea that you are somehow special in the sense that you are really holy kind of guy. And we understand that that doesn't have good implications. All right? When somebody tells me, Lee, you're very much holier than thou, what are we saying? Basically, you're a jerk, right? <laughs> it's a nice way to say, you're a jerk. Uh, so we know that's not a good thing. And that's not God's intention when he calls us to be holy. It's not holier than thou. It's not a sense that we are better than somebody else or that we are somehow supposed to keep separate from them because they're dirty or they're evil or they're bad. That's not what it's talking about. Holy, set apart. It really refers to two different aspects as it's talked about in the Bible. First of all, it's speaking about our relationship with God. You see, you have been chosen as a child of God. So each one of you are special. You're holy in that. You've been set apart by God. You've been called by God. So you have this relationship. You are considered his daughter or his son. Calls you in the family. Jesus calls you his brother or his sister. And that's the picture of when you're called to be holy. The term is sometimes translated saint. Okay, saint. So when it says you are a saint, what that is saying is that you are Holy, you're set apart specifically to be used by God because you have a relationship with God. So that's the picture of holiness. Secondly, the term holy is referring to a change that's taking place in our life as a result of that relationship. It's a change that happens as we continue to understand and interact with God and allow the Holy Spirit to bring about to us the ability to bring true inside-out change in our lives. So holy has those two different aspects with it. One, that we have a relationship with God. Two, that we're being changed as a result of that relationship. 
And then within that idea, that means that others look upon us and they see this change that is happening and they recognize that something is different here. So that's the concept or the idea of holiness. If you read through the Bible, it talks about a holy place, the holy temple, the holy one, holy people, holy mountain, the holy scriptures, and probably the most obvious one, the holy spirit. Okay, so all those pictures are that of set apart. So if you put it by, it's a temple that's been set apart for God. It's a mountain that was set apart where God revealed himself. It's the spirit of God set apart to reveal to you God himself. It's the holy one. So the value of holiness is both in relationship to change and in relationship to chosenness. To change and to chosenness. So here's, here's your mantra for today. I like to give you one every week, so at least you remember one thing, right? And the reason I do that, by the way, is because so oftentimes when I was sitting in the chairs and listening to a pastor talk, and we got all the way done, I say, I'd say to myself, what did he say? And it wasn't that he didn't say anything. He said a lot. But I was trying to, could I crunch that down a bit? What are we really trying to get? So I always try to give you a mantra for the day that you can pick other things out from. And this is what it is for the day. I am holy. Help me to be holy. Okay? I am holy. Help me to be holy. Say it again. I am holy. Help me to be holy. And that is the the directive that God gives us and the value that we hold as a church. That we're called to be holy. Set apart by God chosen by him and involved in the process of change. Now in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul relates to it this way when he's giving a prayer towards these particular people located in Thessalonica. And he says this, read it with me, would you? Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body Be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Father, we ask today that you might declare to us who you are and who we are. That you'll give us the opportunity and the ability to continue to grow in understanding and insight, but even more, to grow in that changing process where we are smultified, where we find ourselves becoming more and more like your son as a result of our relationship with you. Let that happen. Speak to us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So holiness or sanctification, according to Paul, he's saying this is for now. I pray now. It's the present result of God's provision. But it's also for later. He will sanctify you. But you are presently sanctified or set apart. And the word sanctified is another word that's translated from the word holy or hagios. Same basic word. It's just much broader for us in terms of an understanding of it. So holiness is both present and progressive. It's got that two-prong element that are taking place in us. The, the completeness that takes place in us, he's saying here, but Paul is trying to tell us that what will happen is that you will become whole in your body, in your soul, in your spirit as a result of recognizing the holiness that God has given you and then progressing in that holiness. May the God of peace sanctify 
you. So again, we've got that double terminology taking place here. He's saying, I want you now to experience that chosenness, that holiness, that you are a saint. And secondly, that you might continue to experience that inside-out sanctification. And you regularly not just identify with God, but become more and more and more like God. So this peace that he wants to flow in your life is a wonderful picture of unity, soul, body, spirit, balance, together, complete. I call it a Lego promise, okay, where we get all the pieces begin to come together and they hook together and we're able to be what it was. We were all before, but we gotten broken down and God had to put us back together. Be holy, set apart by God, set apart by God. And first of all, this aspect of, of being. He says, and that is what some of you were. Now, Paul is referring in this case to us before being chosen, before receiving the Holy Spirit, before being set aside, before having the power and the change take place in our life that we call being born again. That is what you were. You were involved in these other things, but you were washed and sanctified, made holy is the word there. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, by the spirit of our God. We are saints, holy, set apart by God. No longer sinners who occasionally do good, but saints who occasionally sin. It's a difference in motivation. It's a difference in opportunity. It's a difference in ability. Everything changed. So John does this. And I remember reading this when I first became a Christian. He says, no one who is born of God will sin. Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Now, when I first read that, I said, wow, this is so wonderful. I've become a Christian. I'm no longer going to sin. Reality came into my life shortly thereafter. And I can laugh about it now because I understand, but I was truly shocked at my response in anger to somebody. I was like, that was the old Lee. Where did he come from? I thought he died. I don't like that. I don't want to be that. God, I was literally in my closet saying, God, what happened? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, Lee, you are being changed, but you're not there yet. And I thought, I don't know what you mean. I don't understand. I began reading the word of God. And so as I began to read it, studied a bit more, and later on talked to some other people about it, I found out that it's a much better translation in the NLT. And it says this, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Now, prior to giving my life to Christ, I made a practice of sinning. I enjoyed the practice of sinning. That was my most enjoyable time in life. Friday night, the weekend, I was involved in sin, and it was fun. It was the only time that there was this sense of, oh, well, you know, I'm not just caught up in working in this dullness. There was this excitement involved in it. There was also an after sense of hangover, you know, and everything, which wasn't fun, but the initial thing was like, oh, this is really cool. And now that I became a Christian, suddenly I recognized what wrong was, what sin was, all these different things. And now what I found was whenever I was involved in any area 
of sin where I was breaking the law of God and not showing love to other people in whatever way or manner that I found myself in remorse going, how could I have done that? Why was I involved in that? And instead I found myself seeking out how to practice doing right where before I practiced doing wrong, now I was practicing how to do right. So, It starts out in this wonderful position where we're born again by God and the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we begin to discover this wonderful desire to be holy and then we slide into sin and we say, how did that happen? And God said, you are progressively being sanctified or smultified and the change will continue in your life until you become more and more and more mature in your walk with God, and as you do that, you'll find yourself sinning less and less and less. So that's why he says, you can't keep on sinning in the NLT, so they can't keep on sinning. So immediately in my life at this point in time, and have been for a long time, whenever I fall into sin, I don't keep on sinning, I immediately stop. And I repent and I say, Lord, I don't want to be that way. Please forgive me. If there's anyone involved in that, I turn to them and say, I'm so sorry I said that or did that. I did not mean to do that. That's against what I desire to do. And that's the new person in Christ. That's this new thing that happened. Now, someone says, well, what do we mean? I want to be holy. I said, well, I am holy. Help me to be holy. Say that with me. I am holy. Help me to be holy. And that becomes the cry of our life. I've been set apart by God. God, help me to be more like you. Where before I felt justified in doing something, in retaliating against somebody. I put bumper stickers up like that would say, I don't get mad, I get... Yeah. Sucker, you know? And say, don't mess with me or you're going to get it back. It's like, whoa. And, and we felt good about that. It was like, yeah, that's the way to do it. And then I became a Christian. God said, Lee, that's really not appropriate behavior. It's not? No, it's not. Oh, okay. So in this rebirth, have you noticed you have this inner sense of wanting to please God begins to dominate your life? And the older you get, the more so. How many of you have experienced that? Yeah, the rest of you, you need to work on it. Because it's happening to you, you're just not identifying it. And God is coming to bring about this change. When you're born again, you find yourself progressively growing in that birth. So more and more and more, this life that was birthed in us, the personality of God is forthcoming in our life. I'll give you a silly illustration. Okay, when I turn around, have you noticed something that's missing back here that wasn't in the front? No, you didn't, because it's nice and full and thick, right? I have hair just like Bob over here. It's a wonderful thing. There is no balding for Bob. I'm not sure what he did right, but he did it right. This is my father. When, I, when my father was in his 50s, I noticed that something was starting to fade away on the top of his head. There was a lack of hair going on there. It's called pattern balding. And my boys don't know it yet, but they're going to get it too. Because it's a genetic thing that's carried on. It's carried on to them. They get that part of who I am. It's carried on down. You see, it doesn't happen instantly. They have hair. They have good hair until they get into their 40s. And then it starts to look a little funny. And in their 50s, it gets worse. And when you hit 60, 
You try to come up with the ways to cover it. <laughs> Rogaine is made for people in their 50s. I tried Rogaine in my 50s. Yes, some of you think, oh, Pastor, you should have tried Rogaine. I tried Rogaine. It doesn't work for me. You know, the little thing on the side doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> I got the stronger stuff. It still didn't work. I was like, really? You got to be kidding me. It doesn't work. It's passed on genetically from my father to me. And the same thing happens in our life in a much more appropriate manner. God's holiness, his holy nature, progressively begins to fill my broken, my weak, my damaged part. And he creates this little crease, this Lego piece, and he starts gradually putting it together in a positive way rather than a negative. I become more and more and more like him. And I experience this as a result of my relationship as God's child. It's the natural progressive process that takes place. We shall be holy, the scripture says, because he is what? Holy. And he's saying we shall become perfected just as he is perfect. There's a progressive process going on. We call that holiness. It's circular. It's not linear. Okay? It goes Back and forth and sideways and, and over here and around there. It's, it's all these things going on. I start thinking, well, I got this place done. Oh, I got this area of my life taken care of. And God says, well, not quite. You got some of it. And then I pop back to that area again where I thought I had complete control. Oh, my anger is gone. Don't have any issues there anymore. It's wonderful. God has taken care of that. Oh, really? Most of it I have, son, but we're coming back. And God brings me back to that spot and changes another aspect of that, why there was anger in my life, why these things continue to take place that shouldn't be taking place. So that's the nature of this holiness, this perfection that goes around and back and forth and up and down and through. And, and we continue in this maturing process in understanding and in actual change, what we use the term here, I've taught you a while back, smultification. It's a process by which we literally change, and that's the process by which we see trout and salmon being changed as they move towards the ocean, and they're able then to breathe in the salt water, which otherwise they wouldn't be able to. So it's called smultification that's happening to us. We're called to be holy. We are becoming holy. But see, in that same process, we're called to be holy, and that we're to defend life. We're to defend freedom. We're to be the church. And when we fail to do that, we are ridiculed. We are ridiculed and put down because you guys are not what you said you were. You're not doing what you said you would do. And so this first aspect of being holy refers to our new birth, our desire to be holy, and the process by which God is making us holy. Second aspect. So now we're going to go to the next, next section here. It's about influencing others. We call this holiness. Holiness is the process by which we are influencing others around us. And in many ways, this is very, very difficult because we're not sure how far to go or how to handle it in a variety of different situations as God calls us to be that. So I find myself going, Lord, I'm holy. Help me to be holy. Now, I want you to catch that picture because what I'm saying is that I'm not sure of what that means. That's my struggle as I go, Lord, is this holy? Is this a correct response? Or is this simply being holier than thou? Is it being judgmental? 
Is it being inappropriate? Is it being egotistical? What is this? Lord, I want to be holy. I don't want to be holier than thou. So the church is called to be set apart for specifically the purpose of being born again. And then secondly, to be progressively holy in the world. Or as Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let's watch this clip that maybe helps it a little bit. You can clap, that's okay. They won't hear you, but it's okay. But you're getting the idea. We're clapping out of a recognition that we are called to be something. You see, it's not enough to be called to be holy. We have to be holy. I am holy, so help me to be holy. Say it. I am holy, so help me to be holy. The cry of the church is to change. It's to interact with darkness and bring light in the midst of it. And that's when we become the people that God desires us to be in a world that is struggling and that is hurting. Um, Don Shannon came in this morning during our prayer time. And he said, uh, Pastor, you need to pray for me. I just went over to a missions group that he's interacting with. And he said, we need to have uh, three 50-horsepower motors that I'm supposed to get a hold of so they can have those because they are sending these various uh, large uh, bins off to the Philippines to respond to the continuing issue uh, of uh, what happened with the, the reef situation. That's Don Shannon over there. If you've got a 50-horsepower engine, okay, Don, stand up, stand up. Give it to Don, okay? So talk to him. And the involvement that takes place for us as the church is that we're responsible to be a light to God's world and to recognize that the world they live in is, is a world that is involved regularly in practicing sin because that's what you do. That's just what you do. You don't think anything of it. You see it as what you're supposed to do. And I want you to comprehend that. Instead of getting down on everybody, you need to help them see the light. Be holy, set apart by God. You need to be involved in doing. So Peter says it this way. For just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. So you could circle that in all you do. It is written, be holy because I am holy. You're set apart by God for God. And the term holiness is filled with conflict. If you're set apart from something, there's conflict involved there. It's not something that's held together. It's something that stirs up. It's something that is, that is different, that stands out. At the same time, the fact that God calls us to walk down a narrow road does not mean that we're called to be narrow-minded. But it does mean that we're to walk down a road of holiness, to consider our steps for where we walk and how we walk. So Psalm 119 says, Your word, it's a light to my feet, a lamp to my path. It shows me where to walk and how to walk and when to walk. The directive that God gives us through it. A path of holiness to holiness as we apply the truth that we know, then more and more is added by God and progressively we find ourselves being set free. 
And that's why Jesus uses the term, as you continue in my word and obey my word, then you will experience freedom. You'll know what it means to be set free. You'll both understand and you'll be able to respond. Paul says it this way in relationship to light. He says, you guys have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And that's why it's said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The fruitless deeds of darkness. We need to shine and show them what's truly going on here. Expose the deeds of our culture that are bringing about destruction. Have nothing to do with them. Don't discuss them or be involved with them. Expose them for what they are and for what they do. Isaiah, thousands of years ago, chapter 5, verse 20 said this, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Folks, we live in a culture of darkness. We live in a culture of evil. We live in a culture that is dominated by sin. And that's simply where we live. That's what is here. Uh, today is, is a Sunday set apart by the church called Sanctity of Life Sunday. And what we mean by that is at least once a year, we ask the pastors to share a basic clarification of the need for us to recognize abortion is an evil act, that it brings about destruction, that it brings about wrongdoing, and that it brings wounding to the person who does it and death to the one that it's done to. We have to understand as difficult as this is in our society because our society has become one that practices it in the name of so-called freedom that we give. We have to stand firmly against that culture. I am holy. Help me to be holy. See, that's really difficult when we, when we deal with these issues. I know, many of you, I know many of you that have had an abortion. I know some of you have come to me afterwards and said, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe it. But in our culture, it's pressing you to do that. It's saying, you've you got you to do this because then you'll be set free from it. You'll be able to continue down the path that you're called to go down. And we rationalize all these variety of ways to get away with this act of murder. Simply, clearly stated. So I want us to watch a little clip here. And it's called Hope for the Hopeless, Help for the Helpless, Voice for the Voiceless. It's a magnificent thing. Powerful stuff. But the reason it's so powerful is because the reality hits home on us. And we have to deal with it. I, I encourage each of you, who are the people that God has called you to influence? That it, God has called you to, to shine a light and to clarify the truth too. Not to beat them up on it, but simply to lay out the truth that they know and will be crying out in their heart despite the fact of what's going on. And they'll find themselves going, I can't continue in this way. I encourage you to do far more than simply say, I'm personally opposed to. 
I encourage you to stop right there and say, I'm personally opposed to, period. And I wouldn't support any law that would encourage it or any person that would be involved in it. Because it's taking away life that God has given. And there's never a winner. There's never a winner in that. Everyone loses. People say, well, how do you do this? Become Christian optometrists. Get others to put on the glasses of life and of hope and of change and of wonder and begin to share the stories of those who have been involved and overcame. I once was blind, but now I see. I am holy. Help me to be holy. Say that with me. I am holy. Help me to be holy. And it's difficult at times to allow the light to be directed in such a way that God is clearly seen by those who are in pain, by those who want desperately to escape from the clutches of whatever sin has grabbed a hold of them. But we must speak clearly. As Paul directed us in the book of Ephesians, his intent, God's intent was that now, through the church, you, the manifold wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and the authority in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he is saying is that as we live out that truth here, as we shine the light of who God is, of what he has directed us to do and to be, that the result is our world experiences the reality of God. And when we don't, they don't. We're called to be a searchlight that sometimes makes others uncomfortable. But it's necessary for them to see what it is that they're running into. My child always wanted to run across the street in front of cars. And so I let them. Go, run little boy, run. Do you believe that? Oh, of course not. I grabbed him and said, get back here. He was screaming, how dare you stop me from doing what I want to do? You don't understand. You will be hurt if you go through that. You could get hit by a car. Looks at you like, you're an idiot. No car is going to hit me. They'll see me and they'll stop. If they see him, they probably will. When we recognize the dangers that has come, we shine the light, clarify what it is, and sometimes we literally put our arm around them and stop them from doing what they were going to do. And that's the cry of holiness. When it comes to the issue of abortion, let me give you a a simple picture that may help a bit. Because sometimes people say, I don't know how to respond. I said, use the toddler principle. What would you say to them if you were talking about a toddler? It's okay to stab them. It's okay to kick them or to beat them. It's okay to provide pain towards them. Of course not. You would say, that's not happening. And if you do that around me, I will what? I will stop you. I will stop you from doing that. And that is the same issue. It's life. It's a voiceless life. It hasn't spoken yet. So you have to speak for them. Sometimes to people 
that are so caught up in what we want to have done that we refuse to hear and to see. But the pain that comes later as a result of our actions is severe. Boy, it's severe. I, I watched uh, October Baby the other night. My wife was doing the show thing. You know, she was doing the. I hate those shows. My boys have to make sure they don't come in the room because I'm crying. So I'm watching October Baby and I'm crying. And my wife goes, she says, you know, I have to be strong for you whenever we watch these shows. (laughs) And it's true. I'm like, ah, why am I crying? Because there's this wondrous sense of God's presence working to the lives of people, in this case a father, who is dealing so strongly with his daughters and the situation uh, that's taken place. It's a story about uh, a child who was meant to be aborted but came into life and was then adopted by another couple. Uh, it's, it's really crummy in the beginning. The first beginning of it, they just did a lousy job. Okay? But about 30 minutes through, it kicks off and it suddenly becomes a great show. You've got to get through the first 30. I'm, I'm going, are you kidding me? This is really bad. And then it, boom, it changes and everything it turns into a terrific show. So if you get a chance, rent it. Go get, you know, it costs you a dollar. Rent it, listen to what it has to say. You'll be encouraged. You'll be encouraged. It's called October Baby. So that's my assignment for you this week if you want to do that. Uh, and for you guys, just be tough. Okay? Be brave. Just gut it up. Don't give in, because once you start giving in, it's just, it's terrible. You know, start crying and, fall, oh, it's just stuff, okay? So God calls us to be holy, and he gives us the ability to continue to build holiness. We're called to expose values, to propose values, never to impose values, okay? We're called to expose them and to propose them. And the Spirit of God then displays the masquerade of sin and enables change to happen both within us and the lives of the people that we interact with. Be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You see, the most wonderful thing that takes place in our life is that we begin to allow God to change us. We also, in that process, begin to see God high and lifted up, miraculously, powerfully, experientially, personally. And we go, my goodness, this is what makes life work. One of my favorite verses, Genesis 50, 20. Many of you already know it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It's the story of Joseph. And he talks to his brothers who come to him begging forgiveness because they think he's going to eat. Off with the head kind of stuff. He's going to take it to him as soon as dad dies. Dad's getting ready to die and they think, when dad dies, Joseph's going to lay the hands on us and it's not going to be pretty. So they come to their brother Joseph and say, Joseph, we are so sorry. And Joseph looks at them and says, dudes, I know what you're doing and I know you're afraid and, and I know that I'm very powerful and that your lives are in my hand. But you don't understand something. And if you did, you wouldn't be concerned. Because you see, everything that happened, happened because God desired to bring about a great good. And although you meant it for evil, 
God intended it for good. And he said, in the big picture of things, the reason I'm able to so easily give forgiveness and grace to those around me is because I recognize the hand of God is used both through those who are hurting and those who do wrong as well as those who do good. So when I began to look at life itself, I recognize, as the great theologian uh, Yoda once said, it's hard to see the dark side it is. It's also hard to see the light side. But God lets us see it. And it's like for a moment we see, and then it's closed up again. I go, the veil was broken down for a moment there. I saw clearly. I saw God, and I saw his wondrous move, his great work, and I went, wow. Not only are we going to make it, we're going to win. It was like the Broncos just the other week. I had to throw that in there, you know. That was really for my son, because the Bears lost, and that's my team. But God is still good. God is still good all the time. So I am holy. Help me to be holy. Say it with me. I am holy. Help me to be holy. Father, we thank you for calling us into your kingdom and for granting us the wondrous privilege of knowing you personally, for granting us the wondrous opportunity to not only see light, but to be light, that you have allowed us this great thing that we can become more and more and more like you. We can find ourselves being good to other people around us, showing love and generosity, speaking truth instead of being caught up in lies, choosing to love rather than to continue with lust. Lord, granting us the ability to not be so lazy and instead actually do something worthwhile. What a wonderful God you are. And we pray today that you'll continue to stir up our hearts and make us aware of who we need to be and how we need to act. Lord, you've made us holy. Help us to be holy to those around us, to influence both in this area of sanctity of life and in each other area where death brings destruction into so many people's lives through sin. Give us understanding and ability. Guide us even this day in accordance with your will, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, We're going to...